of our God, how do you visualize Jesus? Do you visualize him as a baby in a manger or a man walking the streets of Galilee? Do you visualize him there on the cross? How do you visualize him? According to that song, we ought to visualize him high and lifted up. That's the way the scripture says it. Seated on his throne. Let us adore him in his majesty and his sovereignty and his rule and reign. Let us adore him as the king over all kings and the Lord over all lords. The one by which the cosmos is held together. We ought to adore him in that. So grateful to be able to stand and teach God's word today. So let's focus in on 1 Kings chapter 18 again. I had not planned on sticking in a story, but I can't get out of this one. So uh, we're going to go a couple of more Sundays in this. Next week, we have a very special service uh, for you. And then the following week, I'll pick up in chapter 19 of 1 Kings. Uh, but let's focus here. I want us by the end of our time together today to recognize that the people of God must learn to engage the will of God in prayer to his honor and glory. The people of God must engage in the will of God and do that through prayer so that he is honored and glorified. That's where our focus is today. And Elijah is going to help us to see and discover that. Remember last week there was a drought in the land and the drought was a denouncement, if you will, of the false gods there in the place of Israel. That drought had lasted for three and a half years and it served as a discipline by the hand of God on the people who thought that Baal was the God who could bring rain. God, through his prophet, stopped all the rain for falling. And for 42 months, not a drop of dew or rain fell to the ground. It was not just discipline, but it was a exclamation point, if you will, that God alone controls the heavens and the earth, not Baal, not Asherah, or anybody else. So Israel had gathered on Mount Carmel by the request of a prophet of God named Elijah. And he told Ahab, why don't you gather all the prophets of Baal and gather the people and there on Mount Carmel, we will have a holy showdown. And that's exactly what transpired. By the end of the day, it was obvious to everybody that was standing on that mountainous ridge that there was no power to a God named Baal. He was false. For there was no answer from him, no response, no way in which he moved towards the people, although they cried out to him, for most of the day and then God by the prayer of Elijah brought down fire from heaven and consumed a sacrifice that had been offered in his holy name not just consumed the sacrifice but consumed the altar the wood the rocks the dust around it and all the water that had been poured on top of that it was clear that God alone was God the scripture says that they cried out, Jehovah God, he alone is Elohim. He alone is the supreme one. In other words, there is no one else. Everybody on that mountain came to that conclusion, including King Ahab. Now, let's pick up where that left off in chapter 18, in verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, 
eat and drink for there is a sound of the rushing of rain so Ahab went up to eat and drink and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he bowed himself down to the earth and put his face between his knees and he said to his servant go up now look toward the sea and he went up and looked and said there's nothing and he said go again seven times and at the seventh time he said behold a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea and he said go up say to Ahab prepare your chariot and go down lest the rain stop you and a little while the heavens grew black with clouds and wind and there was a great rain and Ahab rode and went with to Jezreel it's a valley there And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. It's about a 17-mile run. Now I want you to see some of the characteristics of Elijah in this text, because these are the characteristics that we ought to be embracing that God is doing in us if we are living to his honor and glory. Now, this is going to come to conclusion for us in a couple of weeks when we're in chapter 19, but I want you to see that Elijah's whole life was given to the honor and glory of God. Everything he's doing is to the honor and glory of God. And here you find the characteristics of a man who lives to the honor and the glory of God. So everybody in the house today, those in extended worship, those watching online, everybody here today who is a servant of Jesus Christ Our purpose is to live to the honor and glory of God so God is developing in us character by which we can do so. Here's four of them that are mentioned in this passage. First, Elijah demonstrated certainty. God was forming this man to be certain about his God. He tells Ahab, go up, eat and drink for there is the sound of rushing rain." Now, remember, this sound of rushing came before a cloud was even formed, (laughs) before a drop of rain came from the sky. Elijah is hearing a sound of rushing rain. How how does he do that? I think it goes back about 100 years prior to his life. When Solomon is dedicating the temple that he has built in honor of God, to the glory of God, he's dedicating this temple to God And he's bringing the people together in this grand ceremony and celebration. And the king has blessed the people. He's blessed the nation. And now he is offering a prayer of dedication. And that prayer goes on for a while. But it's back in chapter 8 of 1 Kings. You might want to circle back there sometime today and just read through that. It's pretty, pretty impressive, pretty powerful passage. One section of that dedication of prayer sounds like this. Listen to this portion. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land 
which you have given to your people as an inheritance. So in the dedication prayer of the temple, he is saying, Lord, your people are sinful, and when they sin against you, and you bring discipline against them by holding back rain, when they understand their sin and how they have forsaken your honor and your glory, and you convict them in that sin, let them pray towards this place where your presence is manifest, and let them confess and repent of their sin, and when they do so bring rain to them again so you see that rhythm all through the old testament when you're reading about israel this is part of what god was doing and if they didn't get that he would send in a sweeping nation and he would bring destruction to them now listen there's a lot going on in the middle east right now and there's a lot going on with israel and Kay and i are praying daily for the people of israel but let me remind you that the people of israel have rejected jesus the messiah and God is bringing discipline upon them to the point that one day they will recognize the love and the grace and the mercy that you and I have received by Jesus Christ from the Father and they will long for that. There will be a jealousy of that and they will long for that and they will come to reckoning that Jesus Christ is Lord. There is very much the purpose of God in the midst of what is happening his purposefulness is in every aspect of our lives as well. Don't remove the sovereign providence of God. That dishonors him and doesn't point to his glory. Solomon recognized this was going to be an issue, that there would be sin and there would be drought and there would need to be a prayer, a confession, a repentance back to God. And then in doing so, God would provide for them grace through forgiveness and grace with rain on the land. So following this prayer, Solomon worships the Lord among the people. He offers a huge sacrifice. What's huge? 22,000 oxen. <laughs> That's pretty huge, isn't it? And he offers to the Lord 120,000 sheep, sacrifices it right there, and they have a grand feast among all the people as they are celebrating. And listen to God's conclusion of Solomon's prayer. I have heard your prayer and your plea. That's what he said. I've heard it. In other words, God is, is sort of bringing some, some solidity to this. This is the way it will be. He has inspired the prayer, and now he has responded to the prayer. And I think it's in that that Elijah stands with confidence when he says, the people have confessed that Yahweh, excuse me, that Jehovah is Elohim, that the existing God is the supreme God, when they have made that confession and they have repented in that way, he is certain that God will bring rain because that's what he said he would do. And so he tells Ahab, get up and go eat and drink. In other words, go celebrate. For God has forgiven. Now, Israel's sin, sin is obviously great, they are deeply entrenched in their sin and their sexual depravity and their idolatry. And now Elijah has interceded for them and God has heard that prayer and he's responded to them. The people have fallen on their face confessing God to be the true God. He has forgiven their sin and he is reigning upon them grace. And I'm not talking about just reigning upon their heart. I'm talking about literally he is gonna bring rain again to the land. So based on that prayer, Solomon of Solomon's prayer, Elijah makes a statement to Ahab, get up and go celebrate. But now there's more than just the certainty that Elijah has based on Solomon's prayer. 
In chapter 19, verse 1, he tells Ahab to get up and go. In chapter 18, verse 1, here's what God says. Go show yourself to Ahab. And remember what he said? I will send rain. So now Ahab has, has heard the words of Elijah. And Elijah is so certain that if Ahab and the people will turn, that God will bless by bringing showers from the sky and forgiveness to their hearts. He is certain about that. So Elijah was a man who knew the word and the character of God. He trusted God fully, knowing his word to be true and his promises were always fulfilled. Let that settle in for a moment. You can trust God and his word, and you can be certain of the promises of God. He has never failed. You won't find any word or promise in the scripture that he has not accomplished. There's not one of them that you can point to and say, oh, no, that one, that one he missed on. No, every one of them, he's 100% accurate in all ways. So you can be certain about God, and you can be certain about God in your prayers as well. So when you're reading the word of God, pay attention to the promises of God. Uh, Kay and I practice marking them, circling them, starring them, bracketing them, <laughs> anything that we can do just to elevate them on the page. We'll make notation about that. The promises of God we ought to be focusing in on, and listen to this, we ought to be prayerful about those promises. Now, it's the will of God. He's going to accomplish it, but God loves it when his people join him in his will by praying his word and promises. There is a great connection there. And in the conclusion of that, not only do we get to know God more as we're praying his word and his will, but we get to be in harmony with him. We get to join him in what he's doing on a very a broad scale, on, a, on a, a great eternal scale. This begins first in our salvation. God has made a promise to us about our salvation. He said, for he loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life that's a promise of God whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life and when doubt comes into your mind about the salvation that God has given you go back to that promise he said whosoever will and when you feel like sin has overcome you and the conviction of the spirit is upon you then make your confession to him but know that he is a forgiving God you say well he won't forgive this in my life or that in my life no no listen to the promise of God if we will confess confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our oh, excuse me if we will confess our sins that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness listen the enemy will try to hold you down in your sin wrestle you down as if God won't forgive you go back to his word what does his word say and then just echo that in a promise Lord I'm making this confession to you and I believe you to be faithful and just and that you will forgive me cleanse me of that by the blood of Jesus Christ and when you feel it at odds when you feel a wrestling you can know the peace of God can prevail in your life Jesus said my peace I leave with you my peace I give to you don't be sorrowful I'm giving you this peace don't be troubled I'm giving you this neither be afraid this is because the peace of God can wash over us just pray confidently in that and when you're lacking strength, when you're wondering if you can accomplish, you probably can't. But God said, hey, I can do all things through you. So you take that and you usher it back to a prayer. Lord, I can do all things through you who strengthen me. 
And when you think, well, I don't have the provision or the means to, to accomplish according to the glory of God, the Lord said, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and grace. He will provide for me. And when you're sad and discomforted and you're wondering in your grief if God is even paying attention, listen, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Lord, can you even comfort me in this? Oh, you said you would comfort me in all ways, even in this. And when you wonder if his presence is with you, then just echo back his word. He says, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And when you feel overwhelmed by the enemy's attack in your life, pointing out all the things in your life that causes you to be distant from God, as if God is not in love with you, God is not wanting you to worship him or be prayerful to him, be reminded that Romans chapter 1 verse 8 says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just echoing prayers back to him. And when you're wrangling, should I do this, should I do that? What do I do about this or what do I do about that? Remember that if you lack wisdom, you can ask God and he will give it to you liberally or generously and he will do so without reproach. In other words, he's not going to come against you. He's going to come for you, to you, and give you in his grace the wisdom needed. And when you're just confused in life and you're hurt in life and you're wondering if, if this is even worth it, where is this thing going to end? Or I don't seem to be able to overcome, be reminded of the eternal truths of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Amen. A living hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he has given us an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading. Why do I go through those 10 points? Because those are 10 great words of God, 10 great promises of God that you and I have to be certain about. Not because we are certain, but because we are certain about God. And when we're certain about God, it brings certainty to us. That's where Elijah was. He had certainty about him. Now listen, in his prayer, there was great power. But I want you to hear this. Prayer is as powerful as the words and promises of God. In other words, you're not going to be able to just pray anything and expect that there's going to be power to that. that that's a contradictory word that is often taught today in churches. That if you just claim it, you can have it. If you just proclaim it, he will do it. Your word has power. Speak it into the atmosphere and all that hogwash. Your prayer is as powerful as the word and the promises of God for which that prayer is based on. So join God in his word. Join God in his power of his promises and proclaim that. Trust him with certainty about that. The second characteristic that God was building in Elijah that ought to be built in us that we might live to the honor and the glory of God is Elijah revealed humility. He didn't just have this consistency about him, but he had humility about him. So Ahab headed off to eat as he was told by Elijah to do so. Ahab heads to eat and Elijah heads out to pray bowing himself to the ground, tucking his face right there at his knees. Uh, there's probably no more humble position than that, where you're just face down to the ground. 
I'm just going to pause here for a minute as the Spirit's just prompts in my own thoughts with that truth. It's important that He find us in that position regularly. Because that's a humble position, isn't it? I mean, literally taking the time to get down on the ground and pray. Put your nose to the ground. It's a humble position. And God has purpose for that. If you're going to live to his honor and glory, you better lower yourself. It's the humble he exalts. So Elijah reveals his humility just in the way he prays, and this is obviously evident. He didn't call down fire from heaven. That wasn't what was happening. Elijah didn't call down the fire from heaven. Instead, he did what God had instructed him to do, knowing that God would provide fire from heaven. Elijah wanted to be known only as the servant of the one true God. Listen to his prayer. Oh, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I'm your servant. I'm just a servant, and I have done all these things at your word. In other words, this isn't me. This isn't my power. This isn't my word. I've done the instruction of you. He didn't battle with the prophets of Baal to make a name for himself. He did it so that the the people of Israel might know the name of God. And he prayed humbly knowing that he could do nothing to produce rain. Only Elohim could provide the rain. So he's a humble man. The fact that he was a prayerful man reveals that he is a humble man. Listen to this. Prayerlessness reveals a spiritual pride and arrogance that will never be a life that brings glory and honor to God. Prayerlessness reveals a haughtiness. And so those of us who are engaged in prayer, we do so even in our posture, showing our humility to God. Listen, when you pray, if I said, hey, let's pray, everyone in this room would bow your head. It's a reminder we're bowing our head to the one who is exalted. It postures ourselves. Elijah was that kind of guy. Jesus wanted us to learn about humility and how prayer engages us in a humble way. Remember when he taught us how to pray? He gave us the model prayer. If I were just to go back through, which I'm about to, this model prayer, think with me for a minute about the humility that Jesus is teaching us to pray. He says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. What? <laughs> Don't be like that publican who's out there praying, raising his fist. Oh, I'm thankful that I'm not like. Don't be like that. Be the one who humbles himself, goes into his room, closes the door and prays to the father. And here's the things you ought to be praying, he says. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Lord, let me get this right. You are my Father. You are the exalted one, hallowed, set apart, holy, undeniable, nothing like you exist in the planet. Hallowed be your name. Lord, I'm not coming to you build up my name hallowed be your name and then he goes on to teach us how to pray give us this day our daily bread what 
you can't even put together your daily bread you need the father to give you daily bread you don't have the means by which to do that you say oh yeah you just go down to Publix or Winn-Dixie or Walmart I, I don't know about that can, can Publix, Winn-Dixie or Walmart produce anything if God doesn't produce rain can Walmart bring life out of a dead seed no nope, but God can can Walmart produce anything? No, obviously not. So Lord, give us today our daily bread. I'm trusting you for today. I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm not worried about next month. I'm not worried about when the recession hits harder. <laughs> I'm asking you today, give us today our daily bread. And look what, he's, what else he says. Forgive our debts, Lord. We're, we're humbling ourselves, recognizing that we're sinners. I want to be forgiving to other people lead us not into temptation because you know Lord I'm weak and I will fall in that in my sin deliver us from evil I think I skipped over your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Lord this isn't about me it's not about my will it's not about my life it's not about my kingdom it's all about your kingdom and as everything is perfect in heaven in your kingdom let it be that way here in my life and around my life on earth as I live to your honor and glory that's the kind of thing that Jesus was teaching us to pray so what am I saying Elijah learned humility he didn't just learn it God was developing it in him by his spirit he was working it in him and it came through as he's engaging the people in Ahab in Israel if you want power in your life and ministry power comes with humility when it's not about us but we recognize it's about God his power his word his promise his truth so Elijah was learning and living in humility and then Elijah acted persistently he acted persistently I love the image that comes to my mind as Elijah is earnestly praying and telling the servant to go look out over the Mediterranean Sea. You remember I told you last week that Mount Carmel is a ridge. It's actually a mountain ridge. And part of the ridge, you can look out to the west and see the Mediterranean Sea. And so Elijah begins to ask God for prayer, uh, in prayer for rain. And he sends the servant saying, hey, go look and see if anything's coming. And you know what the servant said? Uh-uh, nothing, nada. It ain't there. And so Elijah goes back to pray. And after he prays a little while longer, he sends the servant back. You seeing anything? Not a thing. He goes back to prayer. And that exchange goes on till the seventh time. And on the seventh time, the servant says, Hey, I see something. It looks like a looks like a hand the size of a hand coming up out of the sea a cloud is forming I think what he's saying is if you just put your hand up Elijah you'll see that there's a cloud about the size of your hand there or maybe visually it looked like a, a hand you've seen clouds that look like stuff before right so maybe it's just the image of God's hand scooping down the water and he's beginning to form something there and Elijah immediately in that persistent prayer that I don't know how long that went on the whole time I guess Ahab is eating and drinking and celebrating Elijah is up there praying and looking for rain that whole time he's saying I'm trusting God in this I love the persistency of Ahab 
excuse me, of Elijah, persistent because he knew that God was consistent. He was confident that God would bring rain. He just wasn't confident about the timing of the Lord. And God had made a promise to him, and Elijah was certain about that promise coming to its fulfillment. Jesus instructs us to to pray the same way. Pray persistently, he says, and don't lose heart. There's something about a persistent prayer that honors God, that brings glory to God. When you just persistently ask of him because you know it's his will because you know it's in his word because you know it's a promise just keep praying you say well i've been praying all this time keep praying because you know god's word is true and you know god is consistent you may not know the timing of god but keep praying his word and when the perfect time comes about it will happen it will happen You pray the promises of God. And then finally, we see in this character of Elijah, we see a display of loyalty. Soon the sky grows black and the wind begins to blow and the torrential rain falls. Now, this isn't a summer shower. This is a a downpour of epic proportion. This This is a determined downpour by God. He is making a statement here. Ahab heeded Elijah's word and he races towards the Jezreel Valley where the king had a winter home. As I mentioned, it's about 17 miles away. And there Ahab's wife, Jeze, Jezebel, is waiting on news on this showdown between God and Baal. With the hand of the Lord upon Elijah, catch that. This isn't just Elijah's strength, right? The hand of the Lord is upon him. In other words, God is calling Elijah to do this. He cinches up his robe and he laces up his Nikes and he heads out for a over half marathon at a pace that is that of a chariot. That's loyalty. You say, well, is it loyalty to the king? Perhaps. Their relationship had been strained to say the least until on Mount Carmel. He saw Ahab's nose to the ground calling out that Jehovah is Elohim. Maybe things changed then. Maybe the attitude about them changed when Ahab was eating a feast and drinking merrily because God was going to respond because he believed Ahab, uh, Elijah had told him that. I don't know if it's loyalty of the king, but that man runs 17 miles ahead of that chariot. Now, that's common. If you're a king, that's common for you to have runners making proclamation and declaration that you're approaching, making sure the way is clear. And it could be that Elijah was loyal to the king because he was the one that God had put in authority over him, but I really think the loyalty belongs from Elijah to God. Reckoning that God's hand is upon him to do this very thing, he heads out ahead of Ahab, knowing what is going to be in conflict when he gets home and Jezzy is waiting on the news. And she hears that all the prophets of Baal have been executed there at the brook, their blood running through, and will soon approach the Jezreel Valley where the brook runs there as well. He knew that that king was new in this faith of God he had seen the miraculous and experienced the awesomeness of God and he wanted to be there with him 
as he was exchanging idolatry for worship of the one true God. He knew that what had uniquely happened on Mount Carmel would not be translated very easily to people who were not there. In other words, if they didn't experience that mountaintop experience, they probably would not come to repentance and move away from the idolatry that they have been ingrained in for so long. He knew that to be the case. So Elijah was overjoyed that people had honored and glorified God to repentance and that they had taken steps to rid themselves and their land of false prophets and false worship. But the king and the people would soon need God's sustaining grace, not just the moment of grace where they would experience him, but the sustaining grace of God. Elijah understood that what the king needed was long-term discipleship. He needed somebody to remind him of the word of God, somebody to teach him the word of God. So I think in loyalty to God, he is quite literally running ahead of Ahab to tell him, I am here to be with you the whole way. What a picture. In the same way, it's out of love and loyalty to the God of grace that we share the gospel message and disciple people to walk in the word and the way of Christ. It's not just about delivering the gospel message, but it's about running ahead of people who receive the gospel message that we might help them to walk in the disciples path. What is the word? What is the way of God? Let me, let me teach you. We shouldn't expect that newly saved followers of Jesus Christ ought to be able to do it alone. Instead, the Lord desires us to walk the spiritual journey with other Christians. I'm talking about brothers and sisters encouraging one another, training one another, worshiping with one another, being on mission with one another. That is why we have church. This is the ecclesia. That is the gathering of the saints for the purpose of us running together. It's the reason why in the next hour we will have life group because people are journeying, running through life together, discipling one another. It's the reason why we have relationship with one another, why we invite each other over to our homes or go out to dinner or come by the Cafe 59 and have some coffee. We're meant to engage one another. And I think what is happening with Elijah and Ahab here is he is helping him to recognize, hey, your salvation is not just a moment on a mountain. Your salvation is a journey for life, and I'm here to run it with you. Amen. Who do you have in your life that you're running ahead of? Who has God put in your life that you might run ahead of them? I can tell you for Matt Lloyd, it's those guys right there. The reason why he would invite his football team, he loves those guys. Why would he invite them to church today? Because he's running ahead of them. He's saying to them, this is where I worship. This is my faith family. Why don't you come on a Sunday morning? That's the reason why you invite people. That's the reason why you have gospel message to people. And you continue to include them in your conversations, spiritual conversations based on the word of God. Because you're running life together in discipleship. I love the narrative of Elijah, which is the reason why I can't quite pull out of it so quickly as last week he wasn't interested in headlines about himself there was no Samaritan Gazette that was going to read prophet brings revival to the people in the land of Israel that, that wasn't what he was interested in 
Instead, he was interested in God's glory. That people would herald the glory and the honor of Christ from heaven to earth when sinners come to faith in Jesus, repent of their ways, and find his saving grace. So Elijah displayed this loyalty of God's grace because he reckoned that God sought to save people, redeem people, and reconcile them. The apostle James understood that connection as well. And we know that to be true because he uses Elijah as a reference point. In the context of salvation, James says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. It's power at work. And then he gives this illustration. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. In other words, you think, man, I wish I could be like Elijah. You are like Elijah. Elijah is like you. He's just a common man. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Wow, that's a lot of power. He said, how does a man have that kind of power? How does a woman have that kind of power in prayer? You pray the word of God. That's what he was doing. God told him, I'm going to withhold the rain. Go tell the king. I'm going to give rain. Go present yourself to the king. So he's just praying the word of God, and there's power in that. James goes on to say, my brothers, if anyone is among, among you wonders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Could I put that in the vernacular of 1 Kings, what he's saying there? Run the distance with them. When they're off course, run the distance with them. I'll show you in a couple of weeks in chapter 19 where it seems like Elijah is just coming off the tracks. Like, it seems like he just wants to die, quite literally. But that is not what's happening because Jezze is after him. Instead, what he is doing is, oh Lord, your honor and your glory is now questioned by people and that grips my soul all the way to my body. I want you and me to live in that kind of way engaging people journeying with people some of you are praying for God to turn the hearts the minds and the lives of people who are in sin and judgment and death and you know that and so you're praying for them may I encourage you keep praying for your friends keep praying for your family keep praying for your classmates keep praying for your co-workers just keep praying and see if the power of God moves and stirs in their life. For like James is telling us, the righteous person's prayers are powerful. They're powerful because God is powerful, and he's the one that brings righteousness to us and indwells us righteously by his Holy Spirit. So Elijah's story is helping us to see that walking with God transforms us transforms our character so that we might develop by the work of the spirit of god with spiritual certainty 
You can know about certain things. Listen, when the world is in chaos and confusion, you can be certain about things that are in the Bible. And you can have humility, and with that humility, let God raise you up. And you can have persistence and endurance, and you can be loyal to your God who has put you on mission. And in the end, your life and my life will be lived to the glory and honor of Christ. That's what he longs for. That's the longing of this prophet. It's the longing for God for every one of us. And may I just say, it is what I see in a good number of you. Glory be to God in that. Let's bow together in prayer. Glory, glory, glory. Power, power, power. Holy, holy, holy belongs to you, our God. You have our attention, Lord, and you have a longing that you're birthing in us, or in some, you're stirring it in us. And I pray, Lord, that it would be a longing to live a life in such a way with developed character that you are honored and you are glorified. Let our lives be much bigger than the way we have thought about them in the past. Let them be of eternal mindset. Let them be of eternal passion and let it be of kingdom purposes that your will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.